Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, buddies and pals. It is your uh, very close and um, intimate friend, Matt Silverman, producer of Two Girls, One Podcast. I'm here to tell you that uh, Ali's is still in Singapore, Korea, Seoul, uh, somewhere in Asia. Where in the world is Ali Goldberg, uh, a popular video game from the 90s, which I'm sure you played. It was made into a television show on PBS. Uh, she's not here. Uh, and Lindsay is busy as always. And I have been playing The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom nonstop for a week. And I have no intention of... Going back to work or raising my children, I will only be playing this video game. So goodbye, world, and good riddance to you all. I'm only partially kidding, of course, uh, but I'm here to tell you that we have another Encore episode for you while everyone is indisposed, and uh, it's, it's a great one, and it's an important one. This is from July 11th, 2022. Not quite a year ago, uh, but looking back. But I wanted to share it again because it's, uh, what do you, you, let's say it's prescient. It is always top of mind. It is about how public discourse happens on the internet. And lately we have been covering this a lot and really making a distinction, or at least I have in my, uh, let's call it, Socratic discourse about the internet, connecting people on the inter uh, online and giving people a voice uh, where they have historically never had one. You know, public voice has been reserved for newspapers and radio broadcasts and television, narrow channels mostly populated by straight white men have been the only voices in our society for since the dawn of mass media, let's say. And so connecting people on the internet where anyone can say anything and, and engage in public dialogue, I think that's good. I think that's a net positive for society. And then we had social media come across, come along, which is promised to be the amplification of those voices, but in actuality was, hey, here's here are these platforms for free, and you can say whatever you want, and you can reach millions of people. And in exchange for that, we will harvest all your data and sell it to advertisers, and advertisers will be the ones to pay us all the money in exchange for this free service. And in order for advertisers and businesses to pay, we need to make these apps as addictive and clicky and clickbaity and sensational and crazy and wild as possible. And that right there, that sort of the term I keep falling back on is mediated conversation. It's not 
everyone A, B, C, D, E, F, G gets the same voice and we all duke it out and talk about stuff on the internet, it's voice C, which is the loudest and craziest, uh, gets rewarded by mediators and in most cases algorithms that push them to the top of news feeds and recommendations and TikToks and YouTubes and Facebook posts. That mediation whose sole purpose is profit, profit by the big tech companies, is the winner of the conversation. And that distinction, that nuance, that change in how the internet is structured is problematic from a free free speech point of view because we have, you know, maybe more libertarian or conservative leaning voices saying, you can't tell me what to say on the internet and you can't regulate my speech and I'll say whatever I want, whether it's true or not. And I would say that's mostly okay in a world where that kind of behavior was not rewarded by for-profit algorithms. And so now we have a social media, we have social media juggernauts that have these core problems and we have a, we have a regulatory, we have a government or, or, or we have regulatory bodies that really don't know, that don't understand how these system works, systems work and they don't know how to regulate them or police them. And that is the bind in which we find ourselves today in 2023, and it's way more nuanced and complex than you can tell me what to say on the internet or you can't tell me what to say on the internet. It is a more complicated problem than that because of the for-profit mediated structure of online platforms, which dominate the internet. These are not web forums that we grew up with. They are mediated platforms. If people want to proverbially shout fire in a crowded theater or, you know, be Nazis on a web forum, they will do that in the corners of the Internet where they have always done that. But today we people do that and those ideas are amplified by algorithms and can reach mainstream or, uh, you know, normal people. I, I stereotypically use the grandma as an example. And maybe that's warranted or not, depending on who your grandma is. But grandma uses the internet and she's probably just using Facebook and Instagram as her internet. And if those pockets of the internet that were typically uh, harder to access and, and relegated to darker corners of the internet, if they are amplified by for-profit actors who don't give a shit whether grandma becomes radicalized by political ideas on any spectrum of of the left or whatever she's just using instagram to see the grandkids and oh you know maybe this hitler guy well you know he had some good ideas um that's that's how i see this problem and that's how i see the problem of speech on the internet so back back in July 2022, we brought on an attorney, a partner at a, a law firm that I've 
done speaking events at and who have really been forward like forward thinking in the sort of how do we navigate these challenges in the 21st century. Uh, so Paul Singer, uh, who is a partner at the law firm and has since really become a friend of the show, he focuses on technology, emerging platforms, regulatory issues, privacy, all the stuff that we are concerned about. Uh, he litigates in his practice and he advises in this practice. Uh, so he came on to help us navigate and talk about the nuances of this conversation, of this this unique challenge for our time. He's since been back on the show at least two times, maybe more. He's always fun and insightful to have. So uh, wanted to publish this encore with Paul uh, talking about the First Amendment as it applies to the internet and what we're all what we should and shouldn't be doing about that and the challenges ahead. So again, this is from July 2022. What is and legally is not free speech on the internet as it pertains to social media and other dimensions? Uh, I, I love this topic. I love talking about it. I like to cover it here, and I think you'll enjoy Paul's take. And I know Ali and Lindsay's and my views continue to evolve as we cover this more and more. So uh, if you have not heard this, please buckle up. It's fantastic. And we will talk with you in one week's time. You're listening to Two Girls, One Podcast, a show that would have made America's founding fathers rethink this whole freedom of speech thing. And now here are your hosts, whose combined legal knowledge could write an episode of Law and Order about furries, Lindsay Ford and Allison Goldberg. What up, what up, world? It is I, Lindsay. And I'm Allie. And we are the two girls on this one podcast where we talk about cool, weird, and interesting communities on the internet. Welcome. (laughs) Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day to those who still have it. And um, (laughs) did everyone, did you guys enjoy celebrating one of America's last birthdays. What do you think? Yeah, I kept calling it the series finale of America. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, I think we've got two two left. Two years maybe. Yeah, maybe two. <laughs> yeah. And I think you don't, you don't think we'll get renewed for another season? I don't think the renewal's coming. I think it's What about H what about HBO Max? Could we could we get on there? HBO Max knows what's up. <laughs> it's time to know when the series needs to end. So you know what I mean? Well you know I know I finally figured out why so many white people are so upset. It's because this year is the year that America has finally reached the same age that slavery existed on this soil. Wow. (laughs) So legally existed, I guess. Mm -hmm. 246 years of slavery and now 246 years of America. But we're still not at 246 years of a slavery-free America. So, right. You know. So then we have to keep 
keep going. I met a guy last night who told me it makes sense that like abortion should be up to the states. And I am mad at him that I didn't say, should slavery also be up to the states? (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm a Democrat, but like, it makes sense. I'm like, literally like children, children, like little girls are like dying. And you think it's like, what? It doesn't make sense. Literally no laws make sense. Maybe like, oh, we have more traffic in one state than the other. So maybe traffic laws can be different in Idaho than in uh, New York. Also the fact that they said they struck down that hundred year old gun law in New York. It's like, just fuck up, fucking make up right. your mind. Can the states right. control guns? Mm, mm, mm-hmm. I do think that it's cool if states do some things. Here's the thing with America. It's enormous. It's huge. It's too big. It's too big. So states do need to control some things. It's like saying that the European Union should control everything about all of Europe. Right. But those are sovereign. Those are different sovereign countries. We are and all we U.S. Will citizens. We will also be soon. <laughs> yes. Well, the thing that people want is that's what people want. They want Texas to be its own thing for Mississippi to be its own thing. But they don't really want that because California is buoying this whole place. <laughs> and <laughs> right. you don't really want don't, that. Well, like, I'm ready let, let for go. us to secede. Yeah. Let them go. Like, yeah. What are they going to do without us? Why I moved out here just so I could be here for the succession. Secession. 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 <laughs> secession. Succession is different. But I mean, also, we don't want that. That's just, it's kind of like Brexit. The thing is, the, the states should have some powers, but when the powers are not just like about functionality. They're about the greater good. They don't, mm-hmm. they shouldn't have those. Well, human rights, literal yeah. human rights guaranteed to U.S. citizens oh, should Matt. not be up to states. <laughs> you think that women and children are human. That's so cute. Uh, it's just oh, the thing. same guy last night was like, well, abortion is not in the constitution. And I was like, women weren't people. <laughs> are Neither, you really? Especially not black women. Yeah. Wow. 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 <laughs> Legally, you could rape a black woman to gain more property at the time the Constitution was written, sir. Cool. The man who wrote it was literally doing that (laughs) at the time. It was so annoying because, like, the man that I met last night is a Democrat. Vote, you know, tell me he voted for Obama, but he like is the definition of like everything wrong. Where it's like you, you think you're one of the good ones, yeah, <laughs> and you're saying horrible things, and you don't get it. Well, I hope you were patient with him because you're going to turn him into a libertarian. I was not. If you yell at him, <laughs> right? They're sensitive. I said something about gay marriage being next. He was like, "Oh, they're not going to overturn." No, no. And I was like, Clarence Thomas literally said that. Literally said it. I don't. Mm. What fucking world do you live in? His unnecessary concurrence. He wrote all of the things. That everyone's like, they won't do that. Right. Gay marriage has been around for six minutes. They're going to get rid of it as soon as possible. I just love how he's <laughs> against everything except for interracial marriage. Anyway, we're really upset right now. <laughs> I know. I saw a t-shirt yesterday that said abort the court and I liked it. Ooh. I need to go get Ooh. one. Abort That's the court. I like that. Pretty good. Um, but today <laughs> we're looking at uh, some other issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're 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 talking about the law, so we're we're in there. Relatively on topic. Yeah. On track. It's close. So longtime listeners know we have been increasingly interested in misinformation and disinformation, which we actually had defined for us a while ago. One is intentional and one is unintentional. Mm-hmm. Unintentional was misinformation. Intentional was disinformation. How did I do on the pop quiz? 100%. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of different issues around how that spreads, free speech, what can be taken down. We've talked about Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act mm-hmm. and who should be held liable for this kind of stuff. And so we finally decided 
Let's get a lawyer on. Hey. <laughs> Won't that be fun? <laughs> Who likes law? I have to warn you guys that both my parents are lawyers, so like I kind of black out when law stop when like law talk happens. So you guys mm-hmm. might need to like fill me in on what's going on. Both my parents thought I was going to be a lawyer, so I perk up and act like I know what's going on. So now <laughs> you can share this with them, and you can be like, "Look, we did it. Great. I finally, finally made it, Mom." I got an honorary JD. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm endlessly fascinated with this because when a television station or a newspaper puts out information, the law is very clear about what is protected speech and and such and editorial. And like then you have the internet where it is a public square, but it is mediated by private companies. So is it a publisher? Is it a common carrier? And it's not quite either of those. And we don't know what the heck to do with it. And then you throw in like the shittiest, most crazy ass shit is the stuff that the algorithms want because it makes you see more ads. Mm -hmm. That's where the like disinformation weaponization happens. So like we talk about this constantly with our listeners too. And we were like, we need, we need someone to school us. Yeah. What's happening? He'll tell us is democracy crumbling. It seems like it. (laughs) And whose fault is it? Capitalism. There we go. I mean, that's easy. That's usually where the road leads. Yeah. (gasps) I have uh, some correspondence here. Not a phone call, of course, but an email from Carol. Carol says, hi. Hi, Carol. I wanted to tell you that I just finished listening to the podcast referenced uh, above and I love it so much. Oh, the the subject is your podcast on adult breastfeeding and mm. nursing relationships. Mm. Michaela is so knowledgeable and it was so great to hear her talk in depth about uh, ANRs as well as everything she says. And you all asked such great questions about breastfeeding and breast milk and inducing wow exclamation point. Uh, Carol asked, could we please have her on again soon? She loved it so much. Wow. Carol, that's I'm glad you enjoyed it. Um, we also enjoyed it quite a lot. Yeah, I would love to have Michaela on again. Maybe when Allie or I start breastfeeding a child. <laughs> Allie uh-huh. is like, never. That'll be Lindsay. <laughs> That'll be Lindsay. Great, great. Yeah. Well, um, I think speaking of the law, we are legally mandated to have trivia. So um, let's give it a whirl. Yes, we do have legally mandated trivia. Um, <laughs> I don't know what crime you committed long ago that you have to endure this, but uh, that's <laughs> the judge said. Um, mine was I could have gotten community service. Yeah. But I chose trivia, weekly I trivia. Is, I think this is your community <laughs> service. Honestly, mm-hmm. good choice. The listeners like it, but yeah. uh, you have to suffer. I love uh, today, it. Today we are discussing what is and is not free speech on the internet. So for today's trivia, I'm asking about some rude and lewd IRL, that stands for in real life, Got it. gestures uh, that have been enshrined in our legal system, the U.S. legal system, as free speech. I have three examples of nonverbal actions where lawsuits have been filed and courts have ruled that these gestures are protected as free speech in the United States. Two of these are legally protected gestures. One is not. So you're looking for the the fake one or the the non-protected item. A, giving the middle finger specifically to a police officer. Is that protected speech, according to the court? Fun fact, I think about doing that almost every time I drive by a cop. Like, I just really think about it. And then I'm like, it's not worth getting a beat down. (laughs) Yeah, I would. Don't advise it. But uh, perhaps. Yeah, I do think about it. Perhaps you'll 
get some some opportunities after this trivia. Some knowledge. <laughs> B, mooning. That is, of course, exposing one or more butt cheek in public. Is that legally protected speech? Or is it C, public urination, but only if it is part of a political or social protest? We know you can't pee on the sidewalk, but if you're protesting, protected. Which of these is not protected by a court ruling in the United States? C is not protected. Okay. Oh. Allie goes with C. That was so confident. I feel confident. like B and C both seem like they should fall under like public indecency, right? Uh, mooning or and giving the middle finger. Peeing. Mooning and peeing. B oh, and okay, C. Okay. Okay. They should be like. That's like new. You can't be nude in public. Right. I mean, it seems like C is obvious. So I'll go with B just to balance. All right. She's balancing it out. Also in the insurrection, didn't they like shit all over the Capitol? Hmm. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. All right. Okay. I don't know. I wasn't there. I definitely was not there. <laughs> so he says. <laughs> I was, I was not there. We got to take a break. We'll be back after these messages. All right, friends, we are very happy to loudly and proudly use our free speech to thank the following people who have donated to our Patreon at the $10 or more level. Thank you very much to Wesley Cordell, Jerry Duran, Jessica Fox, Kathy Phillips, Matthew Scott, Melissa Elliott, William, Jessica Kybell, Ken M., and Kelsey Murray. Thank you all so much. You all rock our socks off and we'll use our free speech to say that every single time if you would also like us to say your name on the pod please go to our patreon page at patreon.com slash 2g1p thank you very much dude literally dropped from the sky on Fairview like an hour ago. There was a weird light in the sky and then he just floated down. He ran up really fast and I don't think anyone else saw it. I've never seen a human run that fast. It's raining men, apparently. Right next <laughs> yeah. to that guy. <laughs> also, aliens are definitely real, and the Pentagon, everywhere's like confirmed it, but the world's been such a dumpster fire that nobody has cared. They have not, they have confirmed that flying are phenomena are are real and that they are studying them. Listen, you know yeah. when shit's getting rebranded, it's getting real, right? So they yeah. don't want to do a UFO anymore. Now it's UAP. Mm-hmm. Like when <laughs> Facebook tried to become meta to become more legitimate. Okay, so I like the rebranding because UFO implies that a physical object is flying through the atmosphere. But UAP, unidentified, what is it? Aerial phenomena. Aerial phenomena could be electricity or aurora borealis or what it could be a phenomena that's not an object yeah but mm. i think they're mostly just trying to divorce themselves from the wackadoo like this is a ufo yeah Maybe. they're trying to be like yo it's real i watched independence day i first of all was like wow will smith is very angry in this in a way that i didn't experience the first time through or the first 30 <laughs> times through and b 
this movie is kind of probably the most more accurate than we really thought. Like the president finds out late that like area 51 is real. (laughs) Like, you know what? It holds up. All right. You know what else holds up? This trivia answer. What is legally protected speech, uh, according to various courts in this fine uh, U.S. of A.? Is it A, giving the middle finger, including to police officers? Nobody chose that. Or is it B, mooning, uh, exposing your butt in public? Lindsay went with that one. Or C, public urination for political or social protests? Ali went with that. So you're saying that's not protected? Yes. I will tick off the protected answers and the reasons why they are giving the middle finger to a police officer is protected speech so you're you're good there Uh, a woman in michigan was pulled over for speeding and the cop gave her like a minor ticket then she gave him the finger as he was driving away and he re-stopped her and upgraded the ticket and this went to court in 2019 Mm. this was in michigan and they said no you can't give her a ticket for expressing her her right to say fuck you so that was so that was now legally enshrined me giving the, the middle finger wow. uh, b mooning is also protected this was a 2006 maryland case determining that mooning is a form of artistic expression artistic okay that's a bit as long as there's no uh peens or yeah. or vjjs in there um because and they cited that if a mooning was not protected then neither would a woman wearing a thong bathing suit at the beach would also be in violation so clearly so that is now enshrined public urination is illegal and to my knowledge is not uh protected if it is part of a protest it seemed too obvious matt but okay watch out i mean if mooning wasn't protected i guess kids on the bus (laughs) would be all in jail right now yeah and just like public urination is so not legal that i was like i don't think they have an exception (laughs) and there's all this stuff about how the insurrectionists you know were pooping yeah that's so, a, that's news to me. I'm, tr- I'm trying to not read. Then yeah, yeah. That's yeah, well. Best. It's, it's just your nation, but but no, you're correct. Ali gets it right, and uh, we're done. We've completed our legally mandated trivia for the week. Wonderful. All right, friends. This is the moment where we welcome our guest. Our guest, Paul Singer, is a partner at Kelly Dry and Warren, which means he is a lawyer. Paul, can you tell us um, also your background as it pertains to Free speech on the internet. Sure, happy to, and and thanks for having me on. Um, yes, I, I am a dreaded lawyer. Um, I have <laughs> actually only been with Kelly Dry for about eight months now. Before that, I spent my entire legal career with the Texas Attorney General's office where I handled a variety of consumer protection roles there and was one of the founding members of our, at the time, it was called our internet enforcement team. And so we have been you know, involved in sort of the internet free speech space from a government standpoint for 15 plus years, really, as these issues have, have developed over time. So as I moved into private practice, obviously, this is still an area that, that I have keen interest in. Internet enforcement team is a bold title. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, it, it, 
it is. <laughs> and, and, and as you can obviously guess, um, enforcing the entire internet uh, proved to be a rather daunting task, which is probably why they don't use that title anymore. Seems like a lot. So what, what were the main <laughs> tasks as the internet enforcers? You sound like a superhero gang, like instead of like earth, fire, water, you know what I mean? It's like Wi-Fi, <laughs> yeah, hotspot, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's pretty accurate, right? We did consider ourselves superheroes. I mean, we, we largely were looking initially at the same types of scams and frauds that were perpetrated through mail and, you know, other means of communication historically all kind of shifted to the internet. And right. So like that was a big reason why we wanted something dedicated just to the internet was as new technology was developing that allowed fraudsters to commit old crimes, we wanted to be in a place to be able to prevent it. Sounds good. What would you say were the first signs of this kind of behavior on the internet? And I guess coupled with that, how much did you see this shit show coming or not? <laughs> well, so so that's a now that's a, a, a loaded question um, in many respects, right? But but you know, I think that the state that we're in today, probably a lot of people saw coming for a while, but we probably didn't have a full appreciation for how powerful a means the internet was going to become as a regular communication platform for all of us to use. And, and that's especially true when we talk about social media, right? I mean, back when we were starting to look at these issues, social media was, was MySpace, right? You know, it, it wasn't Facebook, it wasn't Twitter, it wasn't technology that was widely embraced and used by the overwhelming majority of citizens to communicate um, with one another and, and to the public at large. And I think that is what has sort of given rise to a lot of the concerns that you see today is that it, it has become our regular means of communication. And, and from a legal standpoint, when you look at some of the court cases from the late 90s and early 2000s that were just getting into the internet space and discussing some of the issues that could come up, they all kind of pushed the internet off saying like, oh, you know, this is totally different than TV or radio because it's not as invasive in our everyday life. And so it's not something that, you know, we're gonna be forced to utilize or look at on a daily basis. I question whether that's really true anymore, right? I mean, I think the internet has become, you know, our, our primary means of communication in a lot of respects. And so now yeah. it's taken on a far greater significance than, than it had in the past. How did you get interest? What Was there a case or something like while you were in law school that were got you into, wow, this might be the area that I want to focus in. I was definitely fascinated with the concept of consumer protection as a whole when I was in law school. I really liked the idea of doing something that, you know, could be public interest driven and could actually help people and protect, you know, the the citizens of of in my case Texas working at the Texas AG's office, but but nationally. And so you know, finding a space like this where you could be on the cutting e edge of issues as they arose was was just something that was fascinating to me and, and an area that, you know, I, I really enjoyed working in. Nice. Other forms of communication or broadcast, they're regulated and the Internet is not regulated. <laughs> so what I know this is like a huge, they're all going to be a huge questions that are so complicated. But what do you think would be proper regulation of the Internet? What would that look like? That's a tough question. And I think you have to start by defining 
what we're talking about when we're talking about regulating the internet, right? Um, you know, I, I assume we're primarily focused right now on, on social media and how communications get disseminated via social media. But the internet as a whole, right, is a, a, a massive platform for disseminating information. Let's, let's take the social media example. You know, you say other means of communication are regulated. Well, that's that's true and it's not true. Well, I guess I'm specifically thinking of like TV, right? Like you can't get porn on TV, but then everyone has a porn in their pocket on their phone. You know, right. And, and the big difference from a government standpoint and a regulation standpoint is that TV has limited bandwidth and the Internet kind of doesn't. Right. Um, you know, there's mm. a lot more room for speakers to be on the internet and to, you know, all share different viewpoints and share different forms of communication. But when it comes to TV, we recognize there are limitations in that spectrum and in what communication should be disseminated that way. And so we've permitted the government to step in and regulate that space to ensure that the content is the most informative and useful content that you know we as citizens should be getting when you take it outside of that limitation and you start thinking about things like newspapers for example right you don't see those same kind of regulations ultimately getting upheld and so where there are attempts at restricting you know speech on from a newspaper standpoint or trying to force newspapers to publish certain speech those cases generally find that the First Amendment protects those newspapers from having to engage in certain speech or having to restrict certain speech. So, you know, I, I, I do think that some of it has to do with, with like a bandwidth issue, but some of it, frankly, has to just do with the novelty of the Internet. And, and I think a lot of us are still trying to figure out what the right form of regulation should be. I mean, your question is spot on. I mean, that's, that's the question that lawmakers are, frankly, struggling with. And it's, it's not a new question. I mean, these, these same issues the country faced 100 years ago when radio took off. And nobody really knew, how do we regulate this thing? What is this? And at the initial stages of radio, it was kind of a free-for-all. And people could just get radio stations if you had money to go build one. A lot of times, the government has to be reactive to what issues arise as new technology develops because it happens fast and the impact that it has on citizens is, is frankly a lot of times unpredictable. I'm just thinking we've had the internet for 30 years now and yeah, it's rapidly growing and, and changing all the time. But I feel like the regulation has been slow and hesitant for some reason, more so than, I mean, because I was definitely alive when radio was starting. Um, but it seems like it's slower to get a handle on what's going on than it was in previous iterations of technology. Yeah. So so let's talk a little bit about why. Right. So um, let's stick with porn for for a while. Because um, oh, why not? Allie, right? uh, this is yeah. just for you. <laughs> um, so late 90s, actually, as as part of the Communications Decency Act, which which you know you hear Section 230 talked about a lot, and I know we'll we'll get into you know as part of this discussion, but that act was originally intended to limit speech. The whole point of the Communications Decency Act was to restrict access to indecent and obscene content that's directed to children. So it was designed to limit the type of information that could flow to children. The, the difficulty and the reason that 
that law was challenged by the ACLU and ultimately overturned in the Supreme Court was because how do you define those concepts? And when you have a statute that just broadly says things that are indecent can't be directed to children, that does start to infringe upon First Amendment rights because those any, any kind of restriction like that needs to be so narrowly tailored that you know, you're not overstepping and doing too much restriction on content. And so in the early days of internet regulation, what you saw was cases where any kind of restrictions that were put in place were overturned because it is very challenging and difficult with the First Amendment to put those restrictions in place. And frankly, you know, as a society, I think that's that's probably the right answer because where do you draw the line? So where do you think the line should be? It's very difficult to define a line, Mm -hmm. especially like today we talk a lot about misinformation. You know, I think that generally you would find widespread support for the idea that, you know, I cannot, especially when it's for my own financial gain, lie about certain things, right? And, and frankly, there are laws that, that pro- prohibit that, even, even on the internet, right? I can't go on the internet and I can't start saying, buy my product because it is a guaranteed cure for COVID when I have no basis to say that. Your First Amendment protections aren't the same when it's a commercial interest like that. And so, you know, now you can regulate that speech in a way to say, you can't say anything that's false or misleading those those kind of lines i think are important and you know should be upheld and maintained and and frankly strengthened it it gets murkier where you start to go beyond that and and intentionally so because in in an ideal world everybody gets to express their viewpoints and we get to listen to those viewpoints and decide what we want to accept and what we want to believe and what we want to you know follow Social media becomes a a bit of a different question, and I think you start to see that now in some of the state laws that are getting passed, which is, has social media become a more limited platform because we only have a handful of major players in the space that we do have to put some sort of regulation on that platform, both in terms of what can't be said, but also what has to be said on the platform and how open and, and transparent it has to be. You know, we talked before about newspapers. Newspapers are private companies. They exercise editorial discretion as to what their content's going to be. And so when you are purchasing a newspaper, you're generally doing it with an understanding that a private company has decided what to publish and what not to publish. And so consumers are making the decision as to what newspaper to buy and what newspaper to read based on that understanding that you have put those restrictions in place. That's different than a telephone provider, right? A telephone company is offering a transmittal service that's available to everyone. It is open and available to for all to use, and it is designed for you to be able to communicate with another person. Those types of companies then can be classified as as what's called common carriers, right? And and these common carriers have their origins dating back to, you know, pre our country where the whole point was when you're providing this essentially public service, you have different kind of obligations put on you to be open to the public and open to all users to use. 
you don't see telephone companies deciding that I don't like the particular message that you're saying in this call, so I'm going to cut off your service. Whereas a newspaper can look and say, I don't want to publish this editorial you just gave me because I don't like what you're saying. The telephone company can be regulated as a common carrier. The newspaper isn't and can't be because it is exercising editorial discretion. Social media companies are a little bit of both if you start to really look at it, right? Because no question they are exercising some level of editorial discretion. They have terms of use. Those terms of use have very clear criteria that say, you know, you, you can't engage in XYZ and we will monitor and may remove content that violates XYZ. At the same time, those same platforms also may present themselves as open and available to all in the public because for Section 230 purposes, they want to be able to say, none of this content is actually ours. We're just the platform that hosts the content. They're not legally classified. They're kind of, they're a little bit of column A, column B. So we don't know what to do with them. And also the public square, which is protected, has moved onto these private companies' servers. All of our political and social discourse happens on Facebook and Twitter servers now. And therefore, it gets, it seems like it gets even murkier and more complicated. Right. And, and exactly how much has shifted into the public square, I think, is, is part of this this open question and and murkiness, right? Because the the concept of the internet becoming the public square was part of a, a Supreme Court decision from about five years ago. And in that case, the court held that a North Carolina statute that banned sex, sex offenders from social media completely wasn't narrowly tailored enough. So it violated First Amendment rights. And the court, in the majority opinion, talked a lot about how, you know, we, we have come into this cyber age and we're still trying to figure out what it means and how that impacts how we think and how we express ourselves. You know, it was actually a really sort of telling opinion because it recognized a lot of these uncertainties and ambiguities. And in fact, there was a concurrence that, interestingly, it was... Alito and, and Thomas in particular, and Roberts was also part of the concurrence, but, but the two of them really noted like, wait, 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 let's not like start overstating what the internet is. We shouldn't be making these sort of grandiose pronouncements that it's now the public square because we don't really know what it is and we don't know what mm-hmm. it's going to become. And what's really interesting is that Alito and Thomas are the two that are today now saying in opinions, hey, we need to evaluate what these social media companies are and whether or not they may now fall into this category of common carrier. Because again, they're sort of raising the question, is this really where all of our debate and and discussion has shifted to? And if so, what does that mean in terms of existing regulation? And that is the key question that that the courts are going to face that I think they're going to have to take up probably in this next term. Interesting. So if it's a little bit of column A, column B, and column C, what do you personally think would be the best course of action? I'm a big fan of baby steps. I, I think that there are things that could be done that help us figure out what the long-term implications of these companies should be. 
you know, I talked before about what the internet was like 15 years ago. Who knows what it's going to be like 15 years from now? What companies will rise to prominence and how we'll be communicating with each other? And I think anyone that's trying to predict that is is kind of shooting in the dark. It's really hard to to say. And so, you know, when I talk about baby steps, I think in terms of what's the most useful means for us as citizens to better understand fully the implications of what we say and what we're listening to online. And and I come down to transparency. I think that we should have perhaps a, a greater sense of transparency on many fronts about what's happening with these companies. So I think that, you know, laws could be created that require companies to be more upfront about what their policies are in in great detail about how they you know actually do moderate content and and frankly whether or not they're moderating all of the various content then also how they use your data with your personal information to then deliver that content right because the other piece to social media that's so different than radio for example is that you know, with radio, I'm picking what station I want to listen to. With social media, a lot of times there's an algorithm behind the scenes that's telling me, here's the stuff we think you want to listen to. It's kind of like, how are we going to stop the steamroll of power that these platforms have when they are, you know, collecting all this information about us and sort of steering people knowingly or unknowingly, even if you know that's what they're doing, it's still happening. So how do we as individuals sort of combat that on a micro level? You hit on a key point, which is just the sheer power that these companies hold because of their size and dominance right now. That's being broadly challenged by many attorneys general throughout the country in a variety of lawsuits that are are really starting to question whether the dominance in the marketplace of these social media companies has has gotten to the point where it's violating antitrust law. Because when you break up the dominance and you create additional means for the public to to engage in this kind of dialogue, competition kind of takes care of the problem. The other is is really a strong push for privacy laws. And I do think that this is where you see a lot of individual momentum and and push from the public to try to get their legislatures both at a state level and then at congress to start you know looking at potential solutions through comprehensive privacy legislation so five states now have broad privacy laws that are going to be going into effect you know next year uh, many of them those laws generally follow this this concept of transparency, access, and control of your personal information. So I'll get to know what information companies are collecting about me. I'll get to look at that information and I'll get to tell them, hey, I don't want you using it anymore, including for delivering you know, specific content recommendations or things to me. Okay, there are way too many things to cover. So um, I do I do kind of think we, I want to make sure we cover Section 230. Can you summarize that for our listeners? You know, we talked earlier about the Communications Decency Act broadly and what its purpose was. Part of that act was Section 230, which does really two main things. One, it protects, you know, internet platforms from being liable for 
any of the content that's hosted on their site. Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, are not going to be on the hook for the specific messages that people put on your platform. And then the second thing it does is it provides a good Samaritan exception that says, but you internet companies are allowed to remove information if it is harmful, otherwise uh, offensive material. Um, it's, It's a very undefined sort of odd standard, you know, taken as a whole, it, it was designed to be in response to some early cases that were saying that internet companies, if they tried to moderate things and remove violent hate speech, that that then put them on the hook for all content that was on their site. Congress recognized that wasn't a good thing to, uh, to do because it was encouraging companies not to remove violent hate speech. And so they wanted to build in some protections that both ensured the internet would grow and prosper, but also protected its users from some of the the more outrageous speech that can occur on these platforms. So for a long time, I thought Section 230 should be done away with because platforms can't be held liable for their content. But... In the wake of Roe versus Wade being overturned, I heard, uh, actually it was a listener posted in our Discord, that it will actually provide some protection for people trying to seek abortions. Did you have any thoughts on that? It's a very, very difficult challenge to be able to say that, you know, you as a as a internet company are now going to be on the hook for any content that's provided on there. So if states try to pass laws that say, you know, you aren't allowed to aid someone in seeking an abortion, theoretically you can then say, well, 230 is going to prevent is 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 going to prevent those laws from um, applying to an internet company that is generally not going to be liable for the content that's put on those sites. So there there is sort of a, a large push, frankly, across both political parties to e- either do away with or in some way change 230 because it is incredibly broad. Yeah, it feels like a bit much. Yeah, and now that the internet is is a bit more mature. I think that's why you see people starting to look a little bit at that and say, is it really necessary today like it might have been almost 30 years ago? Now we can start to evaluate, you know, whether or not we can start to hold these companies at least partially accountable for the content that's that's put on their site. And equally, you know, some of the argument that you hear, especially from Republicans, is should we be taking a look at that Good Samaritan provision as well? And making sure that, you know, some of the provisions in there aren't being taken to greater extremes such that it's it's being justified to remove things that are legitimate viewpoints and, and political messages that, you know, should otherwise be available for people to, to see. And how likely do you think it is that anything meaningful will happen given the state of America? <laughs> um at a national level, I, I'd say it's going to take some time, right? I don't think Congress can come up with an, an easy fix. These are questions that have been debated, you know, increasingly so. But, you know, it's, it's simply saying let's fix 230 is an easy position to get behind. But it, then it's really hard when you actually start to think about what that means. Yeah, what that means. Exactly. And, and what the right answer is, because, again, y- you have very different objectives from the right and the left on fixing 230. And so you may start to to see some 
some resistance when you get down into the weeds. Where you might have more success and, and where I remain somewhat optimistic is, do we do some sort of hybrid approach where you get the protections of 230 if you as an internet provider are agreeing to certain regulation or certain you know, restrictions? Frankly, even these platforms at this point, they all want answers. They all want to know what are the rules of the road? Like, what should we be doing? What should we, we be restricting? What, what can't we restrict? But it seems like they also want to create the rules. Yeah, well, of course. I mean, who, who doesn't want to drive on the road that they create, right? I yeah. mean, that's, I think that's what's <laughs> going on here, right? Is that you, mm-hmm. you do have some of that going on for sure. And, and they are going to be an instrumental part of shaping what kind of regulation could, could come out of this, just like other industries do as well, right? you want to have engagement and involvement from the actual companies that it affects because that's the only way you can get regulations that that actually work. I can come up with extreme examples that we could all say should be limited and things that should be, you know, restricted, but the debate today so much of it is around this broad concept of misinformation that is is largely undefined. And that's what I think is, is difficult because what, what is misinformation to one person, another person is saying it's a viewpoint. Which is why I tend to think the more we talk about this, that if we can take the teeth out of sensationalist, uh, sensationalist content, meaning if, if, you, if we have more transparency into the algorithms that push wild misinformation kind of stuff to the top of grandma's Facebook feed where she normally would not be seeking it or part of this uh, community, but because it is absolute madness and because that gets clicks and because that serves advertising, if we can just remove that from the, not remove it, but, but soften that mechanism, it won't fix the problem, but it could you know, stop radicalizing grandma, you know, and I'm using grandma as a facetious way to say, you know, regular people. The more transparent and, and better understanding that we as consumers have as to how our information is being utilized and then how right. we're getting that content delivered. And, and especially in those states that are now passing laws where then I get some control over that too. Like now, mm. now you really start to get engaged more in the dialogue at a totally different level than you were before. The other important piece to this is that when they are dictating to you what speech you hear yes. and you know how they deliver that information, what they say to the public about that process and their own words and their own speech in that context, that's totally different than all of yes. these protections that we talked about under 230. That's when they can be on the hook. Yes. You've actually started to see a couple of states probing into this with social media companies and starting investigations where they're looking at what they tell prospective users is their content moderation policy and what they do to deliver content, but then compare that to what they actually put in place. Mm-hmm. Right. We understand when news when a newspaper is printed and the words and pictures on that page, we understand how those words and pictures got on the page. We have no fucking clue why post A is at the top of my newsfeed on a right. social media app. It is completely opaque and changes 
by the millisecond. No, I think that's right. And and frankly, it's it's complicated, right? I mean, the, the, the newspaper is easier to understand because you know that there's a room full of people and they all make decisions about, you know, this article is going to go there. As a side note, right, the idea that you know, social media companies make a profit off of sensational content. It's really no different than a newspaper or a TV <laughs> station, right? I mean, they're, right, they're going to sure. obviously promote the more sensational content that, that's going to help drive sales because it's also responsive to what the public wants to read and what they want to see. That's mm -hmm. the whole idea of editorial discretion and their ability to make a decision as a private company as to what content you see. If we do not live in the states that will implement that new privacy stuff, will we still benefit from it, or will the will the IP address be like, oh, you live in California, so you need to accept these cookies or those cookies? You know what I mean? Do you, do you have any insight on that? The the short answer is um, maybe as especially as more states start to pass unique state laws, it becomes frankly simpler to just implement it across the board for all users, but. But you can see that California is the one state that already does have some of these, these rules in place. And if you've looked at a privacy policy recently, you'll see like a whole separate section just dedicated to California and your rights as a California <laughs> citizen. And so at some point, you know, that does become a little more complicated. The really good news, right, in terms of consistency and, and a nationwide regulation is that there is greater momentum today than there has ever been for a comprehensive federal privacy bill. There is a pending bill. It does have bipartisan support. They have overcome a lot of complicated issues, but there are a whole lot more issues that they have to deal with to actually get this thing passed. And I do think some of the abortion questions are going to make it even more complicated and, and more partisan as they try to finalize something. So, you know, I, I wouldn't count on that ultimately succeeding. But the fact that Congress is making more progress now on a comprehensive bill is is a good sign. Mm -hmm. Well, and not just that, but internationally, right? So mm -hmm. what right. Are, the, are there things that the Europeans are getting right that we are not yet? I mean, I, I do think these these basic concepts of transparency, access, control, that exist in European privacy law, that, that is a comprehensive data privacy law, those are sort of what I would say are, are the right concepts that are being implemented slowly within the states. Now, do you need as onerous restrictions as you know th that law includes? Maybe not. We don't want to create a situation where accessing a website every time I go to it involves, you know, seven or eight clicks to go through different disclosures and disclaimers and acceptance of terms, right? That nobody reads anyway. That nobody reads anyway, right? Right, right. right. But but also like a fracturing of the internet. So, someone I, I work with uh, is predicting this and she's a, she's a futurist. And so she says like, if every country or state has different privacy laws, then, then these companies might start serving different experiences or websites to different people depending on where they live and so like you and we already see this like in china or whatever it's like i don't we don't want that for the internet i i mean i'll speak for myself i don't want different internets for different countries and states i want the internet to be open and accessible to everyone exactly i agree right i mean i agree with where you're going with this which is when you start to put more and more restrictions in place at, at what point are you just censoring content right that is so anti-american fundamentally i don't think we would ever embrace 
a complicated regulatory regime where there's so much restriction put in place that I'm delivering a different experience and different content in the US than perhaps I can give somewhere else. I cannot imagine that we would ever go that far. And that really sums up the fundamental problem with regulating the internet as a whole is we are trying so hard to balance this complicated question of dangerous content, harmful content, obscene content that is just readily available at our fingertips with those fundamental protections of the First Amendment that say, you know, we should be able to have an an open and and free forum to discuss ideas and and share viewpoints, you know, without any restriction in place by the government. I really do think that taking the time to study our history and where we've been and how radio developed, how telegraph developed, how television developed are are instructive, but certainly are not going to be the solution because this is an entirely new means of communication on the internet. I can be a person communicating just to you, or I can be a public speaker and I can get an audience of millions. You know, nobody thought that this could be such an easy way for us to communicate as broadly as you can now. And the risks that are associated with it are are real and are challenges that we have to confront, but we can't sacrifice the First Amendment um, to to address them. And that's that's the struggle that government is facing. But maybe we can, but like maybe we can. I'm a little over the First Amendment. The First Amendment is really out of hand, let's be honest. (laughs) I I think that you would find a lot of people disagreeing with the concept of the First Amendment. Well, let, let me back up. Yeah. I think that people want to find some level of limitation on a broad concept behind the First Amendment for all sorts of different reasons, right? I mean, whether it's because I want to make sure my viewpoint is being heard and can be disseminated on particular platforms, or because I'm concerned about the type of speech that someone's saying, that it's inherently dangerous and harmful, and so I want that restricted on platforms. Anyone can point to things that they would like to see tweaked in their from their personal view, the idea is everyone is supposed to be able to have their own unique and distinct viewpoints, and they're supposed to be able to express those viewpoints. And so anything we do to start to cut away at those protections, it it becomes a very, very dangerous precedent. But Europe has a different definition of free speech, and theirs seems to be working just just ever so slightly better. Not much, but a little bit. I perceive that the First Amendment is not the actual issue here because if you lie in a newspaper or slander someone or whatever, like there are repercussions for that because we know what a newspaper is. I think the point that that Paul had we, that we've been discussing here that I find most interesting is we don't know what social media speech is legally, therefore we can't we can't fight it. I think misinformation and disinformation comes from free speech, not to mention the fact that Web3, part of their promise is, you know, that you won't have the same algorithmic expansion, um, but you'll be self-regulated. There'll be a lot more transparency. But my concern with Web3 is great. Then a bunch of Nazis get together and no one can regulate them at all. Before social media and before algorithms, Nazis were on the Internet and Nazis would get together on the Internet and they do their Nazi stuff. 
and grandma <laughs> didn't know about it because they were just in their own corner. That would be awesome if that were still the case. But now the shit flows upstream to everyone. And so I think it's it's about transparency and privacy more than let's throw away the Constitution. You know what I mean? I think those are two separate things. I mean, I think yeah. they're very much intertwined. For sure. I think we'll need a combo of both for it to actually have any impact. It, it, is, it is definitely hard to draw that distinction. But I do tend to agree that the reason you have this discussion now is because of how easy it is for, we'll stick with the Nazis, for the Nazis to now have a, a very, very public voice that gets pushed down to users in a different kind of way than they ever did before. When you look at some of the, the old court cases that help define the parameters around free speech, many of those were like cases that involved the KKK and and found that, you know, if the KKK is out there disseminating a message of hate and even of violence, that that's okay as long as they don't actually then incite violence in turn. But there's such a fine line between they can be violent as long as they don't incite violence. They can say violence as long as they don't be violent. Right. right. But there's such a fine line. There's such a fine line there. You know, that's the that's the entire reason why this January 6th committee, you know, did Trump incite the violence or did he just say things? You know what I mean? Right. Right. Oh, right. It, it totally is a fine line. Right. I mean, it's another complicated question that that it involves. But from an enforcement standpoint, right, it, it's just a demonstration that for there to be an action, there there has to be more than just the words, right? And that that is why you see there there are committees studying this and and looking more at these issues because it's not enough to just say that you said words that could potentially be taken that way. You have to actually make that causal connection between the two. You know, I tend to agree with where Matt was going with this, which is that it, it's a different situation when I am now pushing you know, Nazi propaganda down to you saying, this is the content that you want to hear and, and that our algorithms have determined that you want to read. In a news feed with, with your family and an ad for shoes <laughs> and, uh, and a funny cat and, oh, and here's like, oh, maybe Hitler wasn't so bad. And then here's some another shoe ad. It's like in that context, that's fucking crazy. And, and that's why I start with the concepts of transparency, right? Because if we understand why that phenomena is happening and why users are experiencing situations like that, we're in a better situation to actually figure out the right approach to address it. I don't feel like any of us today can say confidently, you know, one, we know how widespread those kinds of issues are, and two, what the right fix is because we don't really, really understand why that's happening. What's your least favorite thing that people ask you about First Amendment rights or that they say all the time? I mean, it's not like a least favorite. There's a, like there's the pet peeve of like the assumption that like things are black and white with the First Amendment, that it's <laughs> you can't yell fire in a crowded theater. And so you can't do things that are, are dangerous. That's not what the First Amendment says. And, and the fire in a crowded theater example is actually a, a whole fascinating story because that's not even the law of the land anymore. So it's things like that, that that try to simplify the analysis. And if you think you have a clear answer to, to it, 
you're probably wrong because it's it's just not clear. <laughs> right. Yeah, I like that. Well, this has been a delightful can of worms. I believe we could talk for another 17 hours, <laughs> but we probably shouldn't. But we do have the right to do it under the First Amendment. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> so what are what are are there any final takeaways that you would like to offer for our listeners? I started when we were talking offline some, you know, expressing doubt about optimism in this space. But I, I actually am optimistic that we as a country are going to figure this out. We have faced really? these challenging. That's so nice. Yes, we, we are. We are. We really, really are. We have faced these challenges before. The history of radio is the most fascinating history because none of us actually learn it, right? It's now a hundred years ago, but actually, you know, taking the time to study the issues the country was facing at the time that radio suddenly became a part of everybody's life are so on point with the issues we're facing today that I I really do feel like we're going to find solutions just like we did then. And and they're not going to be clean and easy solutions. They're not going to be solutions that last forever. They're going to need to be flexible. That's what makes this country work, is that you have to have that kind of flexibility and regulation. And, and I think that we're going to get there. Unfortunately, what's, what's difficult for all of us is that we see it in light of the situation today, and we think there's no hope and there's no prospect of getting these things fixed. But it, it just takes time, and it takes the experience of going through some of the struggles that we go through when technology and these platforms are new for us to figure out what the right solution is. And I I really do believe we're going to get there. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Do you have enough optimism for for me and maybe Lindsay? Matt's optimistic. (laughs) The internet's not just for porn, guys. It's also for hope. (laughs) It might have been better when it was just for porn. Well, yeah. Because the internet's not just for porn, now we need the hope. (laughs) That's an interesting way to paraphrase what I said, but I can't disagree with it. That's, that's, you know, yeah. (laughs) Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you guys. This was a lot of fun and, and, you know, these are great topics that, that need to be debated in forums like this. And I think it's, it's excellent that you guys are, are having this dialogue. Thank you. Well, what a delight to end talking about First Amendment rights and then come out somewhat hopeful. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of a wild interview because there's so many different directions we could go. And heads up to our listeners, we're going to we have a few of these coming down the pipeline that we're excited about. Yeah, it's pretty. I feel overwhelmed a lot lately, in case listeners couldn't tell by the tone of my voice in the top of the show as well. <laughs> you know, it's just like, oh, I signed how up. are you doing? Welcome to the show. Yeah. It's, everything's fine. It's like I signed up to volunteer for Ukraine. So I'm doing this thing once a week. But then it's like, oh, I also wrote this abortion place to like see if I could drive people from the airport to the clinic. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's just like mm-hmm. how many catastrophes can y- we deal with at one time, you know, and then the whole disinformation lack of regulation on the internet it's just like oh my god i need a vacation (laughs) (laughs) it will still be bad (laughs) you'll just be on vacation (laughs) you know what i mean it's still terrible i don't know i i mean yeah it's just one thing after another i was going to list more terrible things but i won't do that because i think the answer is being more pro 
happiness. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we need to, the, I feel like the reason why these men hate women and why these white supremacists are like black people are bad is because they're sad. They have sad little mm. lives and they just want everybody else to be as sad as them. We have to choose happiness for ourselves. I think they're power hungry. <laughs> They don't have any power, Allie, and that's why they're sad. They just, we, we need to choose happiness for ourselves and help other people find what makes them happy. And I think that's the reason why the children are the future, because they are happy. <laughs> are, you, are you announcing a run? For, are you running for something? Absolutely what is happening Absolutely not. I want to be happy, Matt. <laughs> I don't want to be a, a public <laughs> officer. I think we just need to give Congress a bunch of psychedelics and let them just mm. like be happy. Mm. Feel yeah, I know. at one with each other and the earth and then pass all this legislation that they regret in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> like those Michigan officials who passed like legalized edibles oh by accident yeah, yeah. Oh, i love that because they, di they didn't fucking read they didn't do the main part of their job they, they didn't read the bill great yeah great yeah. what what i came away i came away with a lot of stuff here but um i'm not i'm not super like happy roses optimistic my fear is I, I agree with paul that like there is a framework here and there is history to learn from and that transparency and privacy is the key to unlocking this and I also like the, I, I like hearing that some legislation is in the works. So cautiously optimistic. What my fear is that it's going at a normal pace for a government and that technology is accelerating exponentially. And that by the time we pass the laws that apply to radio or whatever, like we did it. Hooray. Well, guess what? We have a whole new set of fucking problems because we did not foresee this or that. It's going faster than a human society can yeah. keep up with it. Yeah. And that's my fear. I agree. It's not that we can't do it. I, well, yeah. but that would mean we can't do it. <laughs> I mean, we can't, we can't do it fast enough. We cannot do it fast enough. Yeah. Because yeah. it's already really run amok for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> the radio, anyone could get on the radio. Like you can set up an antenna and broadcast on any frequency, wherever, whenever you want. And that was is like the internet yeah but there were still more barriers to entry than we have at the internet definitely way more barriers and also like you could broadcast like to your neighborhood to your driveway like the the reach was far yeah. less yeah i mean we have some previous models to pull from yeah mm -hmm. but yeah if you would like to join the continued conversation pop on over to our discord discord.gg slash 2g1p you can also email us at 2g1podcast at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail. That number is 347-871-6548. That number again, 347-871-6LIT. You can find me across social media, including Venmo, at Allie underscore Goldie. You can also find me across social media at The Lindsay Life. Lindsay with an E. Yes, you can find <laughs> us on Facebook. Please visit our Patreon, patreon.com slash 2G1P. No amount is too small. And stay tuned for more episodes like this one coming to your ears. Mm -hmm. Stay cool and stay out of the Supreme Court. <laughs> <laughs> Abort the court! Abort the court. Bye! podcast is hosted by Allison Goldberg and Lindsay Ford, then challenged by the U.S. Court of Appeals, Second Circuit, I mean, produced by Matt Silverman in New York City. This episode was edited by Avital Ayler. Production assistance is provided by the Podglomerate. 
This show is a production of The Daily Dot, the number one source for in-depth reporting about life on the Internet. The Podglomerate. A Sonic Universe.